and welcome to Eden's Apple Podcast. We are on for another awesome episode. My name is Valerie. I go by the Cactus Fairy and I'm joined by Kim, the Tumbleweed Witch. And tonight, uh, or today, depending on what time you're listening, uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the story of Deborah in the Bible. And uh, yeah. Kim's going to start I... us off with uh, some information about that. She is a prophetess and judge of the Israelites, which uh, she's also the only female judge mentioned in the Bible. It makes her a total badass. Yeah, Deborah must have really been something special if they gave her privileges like that. She is. Um, she's the fourth judge of the pre-monarchic Israel, and her name, it means woman of Lapidot, which used to be interpreted as being a woman who was married to Lapidot. They used to think that that meant that she was married to a guy named Lapidot, but now because Lapid means torch or lightning, they believe it's like a title of fiery woman or woman of fire. She judges, she sits between beneath a palm tree that's between a couple of like cities or settlements, and that's where she gives her judgment. In the book of Judges, chapter four, she tells a guy named Barak, who is in charge of the army, to attack the forces of Jabin, who was the king of Canaan at the time. And she tells him to get together 10,000 men and go attack their forces immediately and to concentrate them on Mount Tabor. And she says that God will draw the enemy commander to the river and they'll beat them there. And Rock says he won't go without her. And she agrees, but says then the, the glory of victory will belong to a woman. The battle is fought and won, and Sisera, the enemy general, is like fleeing. And he rests in the tent of a woman named Jael, who is part of a family of Israelites that's kind like kind of chill with the Canaanites at the time. So he goes to her tent and he asks to rest. And while he is sleeping, she hammers a tent peg through his temple and kills him that way. So the glory of, of victory goes to her, which I like because you would think when she says the glory of victory is going to go to a woman, the glory is going to go to herself. But it's kind of like this other woman gets the credit, which means that this story has two women who are considered to be badass in it and not just one pretty cool that's cool you know i i, I kind of see it in the same way they tell the stories about the women that were inside of like world war ii who also helped save people or found ways to kill mm -hmm. nazis you know like to be able to right. like women women assisting men inside of combat so they either like brought some intel or People were taken off guard yeah. because they're women. And I guess you could sort of interpret that in a couple different ways. Like maybe when Barack heard her say that the women was going to be the victor, he uh, indicated that it was going to be her. And that's why he wanted to bring her along. Honestly, I think it's pretty fucking cool that he was like, well, I don't care. The victory can go to a woman. I need you to come with me. Yeah. I mean... Like, if I knew that the the victory was going to go to a woman, I would want to increase my chances as much as possible. It would sound like an insult, 
But in the context that, you know, she's like a prophet or she's like sharing a prophecy. She's not saying that uh, he wouldn't have won if he had gone without her. She's saying, if you go without me, you win and the victory will be yours. But if I go with you, the victory, the glory of victory won't go to you. It's going to go to a woman instead. Oh, you know, maybe I, I misunderstood. So the options aren't like, if you go without me, you'll lose. And if you go with me, you'll win, but the glory will go to a woman. The options were, you're going to win either way, but if you don't take me with you, you'll get the victory. And if you do take me with you, that victory will go to a woman. Ah, okay. So I I feel like it's relatively progressive of him to be like, well, that's fine. I need you to come with me. I want you to come with me anyway, even if it means that I don't get to take credit for the ultimate victory. I think that really speaks to her value too, amongst uh, amongst the soldiers and amongst him. Like they they must have really thought of her as being this, um, yeah, badass. Like you're saying, yeah, it, it it shows. I think an incredible amount of respect that he has for her. There's actually something called the Song of Deborah in Judges chapter five that may be the earliest example of Hebrew poetry that we have access to. Like, she was a big deal. I actually went and looked up some Christian websites uh, and what they say about Deborah, because we didn't talk about Deborah very often in my church, which is, you know, telling, because if you're going to take one of the most badass examples of womanhood in the Bible, she's just this totally awesome prophetess, judge, goes with the army into battle. And of course, we don't talk about her much because that's not really the kind of example of womanhood that they want to promote. But the Christian websites that I read about her were actually really, really nice in the way that they handled it. And uh, they were written by women, the articles I read, but I, I know one of them was like telling me not to be small in my life but to be brave and bold and say things that I know I need to say. I think that's a good takeaway. Like, I think that that's a totally valid sort of life lesson to take away from that. I wonder if the intent of um, keeping these stories was kind of the same. Like, we're seeing it inside of, like, a modern perspective. And I, I think that's a really good takeaway. But I also wonder, you know, like... It, they're so selective about sort of the, the stories that make it through the white patriarchal whitewashing of so much history and so much was destroyed. Right. And it makes you wonder if there were more examples of badass women that we don't get to keep because of I like the Council of Nicaea and whatever crazy nonsense the Bible went through before becoming canonized. But it also does, yeah, it highlights for me that the way that people respect women has fluctuated over the course of time. And I feel like there were eras in the past where there was actually more respect for women as being, you know, independent beings and that the patriarchy did go through and erase a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certain there was more stories and more women and that even sometimes history possibly rewrote 
things that were done by women uh, writing in male characters instead. I read an article actually that was super fascinating where someone was like retranslating the Iliad or one of those. So a woman was going through and translating it from the original language. And she's like, oh, a lot of this shit is not as mean to women as we think it is because the guys who translated it, who did the translations we have access to, they were assholes. And so they deliberately translated, you know, well, either deliberately or because of their own biases, translated it in a way that was more unflattering to women. Yeah, I I remember also reading an article about that and how, like, there were definitely, like, certain terms that uh, the way that they were translating were less literal and more interpreted, like describing a woman's hands as being, like, well-worn or, you know, like, uh, like worker's hands. They would, they would find different ways to, uh, to make it sound like a pejorative thing than right. it just being like, oh, they, they were skilled at what they did. And it is so fascinating to see that narrative kind of change because I feel like patriarchal overriding culture put so much effort into seeming like it was this eternal monolith that had always existed. And now that's falling apart. And it's like, oh yeah, why did I believe that? Like, that's very convenient for you, my pastor of my childhood, to tell me that, well, God decided men are in charge, so I guess we all have to deal with it. That's very convenient for you. It doesn't work so well for me. Yeah, especially when, you know, you you see examples in modern day where it's just like, well, that's certainly not the case. And I don't believe that it was that case all of this time. But, you know, just the way that history is written by the victors uh, prevents certain histories from not making it. But but I think this is a good, uh, a great example of just like a woman that existed and was respected and... She was never made out to be, like, slutty or anything right. negative. Yeah. Simply that, you know, she was important to to these these people. Bad. We'll have to do an episode on the Proverbs 31 woman at some point. Because I know that as a kid in the church, I was really obsessed with the Proverbs 31 woman. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look that up again. And I expected it to be, like, super cringe and triggering. And be like, oh, I can't believe I liked that. You know, I was so brainwashed or whatever. But the Proverbs 31 woman is actually a total badass. The Bible describes her as running a side hustle where she makes fabric and sells it. And like she's feeding everyone and taking care of everyone. She's a boss bitch. I'm sure at some point we're going to have a a conversation about uh, Mary Magdalene. There are examples of just, like, women that really, they, they played an important role and had a lot of value, even though, you know, they, they painted Mary Magdalene with the brush of being, you know, a whore. Even then, she provided so much value. And I was reading a lot in the book Zealot, uh, women funded Jesus's ministry. They were the ones giving him the money to go around and preach. 
And I mean, that that says a lot for two different things, that women were making money and were able to own money and possibly property, depending on the time frame. And I also kind of re-examined the story. I, I think it's Martha and Mary who Jesus came to speak at their house, and he's speaking to a group of people. And Martha is running around like make all the food and clean everything up and take care of the be like be a good hostess and she's mad at mary mary is sitting and jesus says to her no mary mary has it right martha you should be sitting listening participating in the conversation not doing all the chores for everyone and the way that that was portrayed to me in church was so skewed because they still they wanted it to be still that like that was her duty but it kind of just came off in this weird like yeah that's what she should have been doing but it's more important to listen to Jesus than to fulfill your wifely duties but you better do them anyway I actually distinctly remember that as well and that was part of the um part of the like justification for resting you know like you uh on Sundays like the when the Lord is in your presence and like when it's the day of the Lord you rest and you don't do your duties because you're not showing deference to God so I remember that being the the reason why it was okay then but also um you know, it's it's good to be doing all these things, but you should always, above all else, and like any other duty, your duty is to God and, you know, Jesus. So that's that's how they played it out, those particular verses. It still somehow in my church felt like a shame. Like either way, women got shit. Who's going to do those things? She won't do that. But still, but like, sort of, like, told that she's doing something incorrectly. Like, this is kind of, like, right. constantly like, chastised. Chast- yeah, like, a, the microaggressions, if you will. <laughs> right, and, like, invisible labor. Who is going to do it if she's not doing it? But she gets yelled at, even though, really, she can't get help. She needs help. Maybe if everybody chipped in. They could all sit and listen to Jesus. So yeah, there's there's definitely this like burden of the household. And I could be misremembering, but I think I remember it also being that that's why you have to work extra hard during the week so that you so that you have time to rest on Sundays. So like it wasn't don't work, it was work extra Manage hard your- preparing for the time that you set aside for God. Right. Manage your time in such a way that you have already done that stuff so that you can be ready to sit and listen to Jesus. Catches up with you, man. It seems just over well overall like a situation where you can't win. Somebody's gonna be mad at you no matter what you do. Yeah. But that's like the the female condition too. If not the human condition. There's there's no there's no perfectly correct way to do things. There's always going to be you know, oh, like, you can be wealthy, but you can't be too wealthy. You can be, you know, mm-hmm. smart, but don't be too smart because you always have to be deaf to have this deference to God. And yeah. nothing, nothing is your own, you know, nothing is your own accomplishment. You are only as good as you are because of God, that sort of 
that sort of thought no. process. Right. And like, you can't ever be proud of anything you do. You can't be, yeah, you can't be proud of anything because pride is a sin in itself. It was preached to me as being a form of taking responsibility for your action. But what it really does is allow people to shirk responsibility for their action. Well, you know, I fucked up because I'm this terrible, horrible person. I was evil from birth and I have to constantly fight and struggle against wicked nature kind of makes it seem okay that you do something that's shitty, you know? Yeah, I mean, that there's like, no responsibility. Like, if all you ever do is ask for forgiveness, then you're right. also, you're and not taking responsibility. You're not acting out um, on what, what's really best in the situation. It makes me think of a discussion I had with my brother. He was like, oh, I just got to give it up to God. And I was like, okay, well, why couldn't you have given it up to God instead of doing what you did? Why couldn't you walk away? He was like, well, it's because I'm a terrible person. Calling yourself a terrible person is a real easy way to shirk responsibility. No, you're not a terrible person. The person you are is a product of the choices you make. So... You can choose not to be a terrible person. That's not your given state. You you have the power to choose not to do that. I don't know. I had a conversation also with someone and they were saying, how as an atheist or someone who doesn't believe in God, how do I ever get forgiveness? How do I come to terms with like things that I've done? And I'm like, well, I ask for forgiveness of the people that I've wronged. You know, I I don't need God. There is no in-between. You have to make amends with the people who you've harmed. You don't don't make amends with God. God is a a bypass. Getting forgiveness from God for what you did is a bypass to doing the painful work of actually approaching the person hurt and asking them for forgiveness. Exactly. Like you, you don't really, like we said, take responsibility for your own actions when you, when you choose to, you know, give God all of your successes and all of your failures. And, you know, I want to be able to celebrate my successes and, you know, feel responsibility for my failures. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that apology, like there are two parts to apology. The first part is apologizing and admitting that you hurt someone. The second part is changing your behavior and not doing it again. It's not just an inter- like eternal process of, I apologize, so you forgive me. Like You have to stop doing the thing as well. And definitely, like, definitely not a gendered thing. That def- definitely goes both ways. But I think men are specific, like have been in the past, kind of socialized to believe that Men don't interact with their emotions. Men are not emotional creatures, which is not true. If you think you are emotionless or that you are not very emotional, it's far more likely that you are just not interacting with your emotions or regulating your own emotion. Women do this constant eternal background labor of managing men's emotions for them. There's this whole process of like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so is doing this. So, I, like, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to? And it, it really came to a head for me in, like, listening to the way me and my mom started talking about trying to 
manage my brother because he won't manage himself. So we're like, you know, well, if, if I let him call me at three in the morning for no other reason that, that he's drunk and in a bad mood, I'm rewarding that bad behavior. Like emotion is a human thing. It's, it's not a gender thing. Women don't experience right. more or less emotions than a man does. We and just are taught it. to manage them differently. Yeah. And managing and regulating your own emotions is a part of being a functional adult. Or, you know, functional human, period. But definitely as an adult, if you haven't learned that lesson by then, then that's something that you should really focus on getting better at. Kids get a pass because that's when we're supposed to be teaching you to do these. Growing up is the process of learning these. And that's also another reason why, you know, women also do make good leaders in some instances just like in the story like able to manage your emotions better than some men and be able to do what you need to do regardless of the situation reminds me of like the first daughter phenomenon where if you are the oldest child and you are assigned female you are expected to caretake your younger sibling girls don't have a childhood because they're having second mom yeah Exactly. Yeah, I I definitely experienced some of that myself when um, my parents separated and I was the oldest woman in the house, you know, once my my mother was no longer living with us, where like I was the one who's supposed to communicate for everyone and understand what's going on in other people's emotions and the expectation is there for you to make everyone happy when I was young and um I was I'm two years older than my brother so I would age into something like oh I'm 13 years old now that means I get to participate in youth group and then my brother who is not 13 years old he's 11 is jealous that I get to go to youth group and he doesn't. So he throws a massive fit until the powers that be agree, okay, we'll make an exception for you as long as you don't cause problems. So that did two things. It it kept me from establishing my own independent identity and separated from him because he got to go to everything that I got to go to. I couldn't I couldn't get time away from him. And then also, it put me in the position of having to control his behavior. If he does something that fucks shit up, that makes consequence for both of us. So I have to control his behavior as well. Yeah, and and just generally really unfair for a parent to put, you know, a child in that position when they're when they just, you know, want to to do things independent of their their siblings. My dad was yelling at me for being upset with my brother. And he's like, if you can't love your brother, you can't love your husband either. Eventually you'll hate him too. Which was such a damaging thing to say because my brother was and is abusive and manipulative. Also extremely abusive and manipulative. I was made to feel like it was a personal failure on my part that I couldn't be okay with the way they treated me. Definitely not your fault and definitely something that you have to, that you end up looking back at and realizing that 
these people, these parents, you know, their own yeah. flaws and misunderstandings about things. They weren't right. And it, and it had a, a bad effect on you. And it They hurt me because they themselves were hurting. But that also doesn't make it okay for them to have done those things to me. It's another one of those, like, chalking it up to boys will be boys and the girl just can't handle it because she's so emotional. That sort of negative stereotype. Is what is really happening really something to write off? Because that's how so many people who are abusive continue to be abusive because it's never them, it's always someone else. Right, there's this kind of, like, hand-waving of, well... Yeah, maybe it wasn't right for him to do that, but you shouldn't be this upset about it. I had that uh, message drilled into me so hard that, like, it was my job to love them anyway. And I, my emotions were what was incorrect about the situation, and I shouldn't have been as upset as I was. And that really helped me to feel like I needed to accept that abuse for so long. That's why women stay in these shitty relationships for so long, because they've been told that they're supposed to accept that. Or that, you know, it's it's not them, or that it's just their emotions, or there's so many different ways that people gaslight people who are in abusive right. or inconvenient situations, you know. like Right. Well, and also that's like the problem with preaching female submission. So you preach female submission, and then you're like, why do women stay with these men who treat them so horribly? Well, maybe because you taught them that they're supposed to submit. It's definitely a, just a prevalent problem inside of the world we live in. Right. And, and again, with corporal punishment, like you are teaching your, you're teaching your daughters that the people who love them will hurt them and that that's okay. This kind of got off topic from Deborah. <laughs> Well, I, I think it all sorts of sort of ties in. I think that Deborah is kind of an exciting thing to see when you see, you know, all these other examples of how you're taught things inside of Christianity and how having this character that exists inside the Bible sort of validates uh you know, if if you're ever taught the story of Deborah, I'd be curious to find out what other people had experienced when um, they either learned of Deborah or if they had never heard of her before. Why didn't I hear about her? I mean, we know why I didn't hear about her because the patriarchal structure of the church I was in had a vested interest in making it seem like women should not take those roles. I would be interested in hearing like how many other people know about her or what they were taught about her, not taught about her. they ever remember there being a sermon related to Deborah, I, I can't think of a, a very specific example, but I do remember learning about her in Bible study. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, it was just silent Bible study. You didn't really, like, discuss, you know, what you were reading. It was just the, the point of the, the Bible study was to read the Bible. Yeah, I feel like I may have heard like one sermon on her and in that sermon the aspect that was brought up was that Barack should not have made her go with him because he should have gotten the glory I guess someone who's really obsessed with wanting wanting the fame 
You know, you would think that the the most important thing is just that they would win. Regardless of who gets the the fame, that's another one of those pride things, right? The more I learn and the farther I get from my upbringing, the more I realize that they were just preaching stuff that was not in any way supported by the Bible. They were just taking examples from the Bible and finding a way for it to fit their narrative. Yeah, one of the things they did in my church that I hated a, a lot was the use of what they called illustrations. So they'd read maybe one or two Bible verses, and then they would tell an illustration, which could be a story from the news or something. But in in general, it was some sort of fabricated story that didn't actually happen, but illustrated the the point that they wanted to get across. Kind of like a email chains where they're just trying to like get exactly. you to believe in something, not because it actually happened. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I know exactly the kind of stories. Stories on Tumblr where they were like, and I said, fuck you. And then the whole the whole class stood up and applauded. Right. Oh, yeah, that that definitely happened. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe if your point was good, you wouldn't have to make up a story to prove it. Right. No, I, I, I see stuff like that on on Facebook all the time. And it's really disappointing, and I'm always just, like, snopesing the articles, and I'm like, yeah, well, that didn't happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think this is probably a good place to end the yeah. episode, but I, yeah, I'd, I would love to hear other people's stories about um, how they heard about Deborah and how that was spun inside the religion that they're in, or if they've had a chance to read the story themselves and kind of their takeaways from that. Our email is Eden's Apple Podcast at gmail.com. So, Eden's Apple Podcast at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, otherwise, you can reach us on our socials. I'm Cactus Fairy. I'm Tumbleweed Witch on Instagram. And we implore that you do a little sin for yourself. Maybe, maybe take some pride in something. Be a little prideful. Like yeah. yeah, like choose, be- choose to, you know, be proud of and- yourself. Or the sin of taking up as much space as you want. Yeah. You don't have to make yourself small. We'll see you all next time. Bye.